You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we have a special guest on our show, an FIVB official. And as a coach, you ever wonder, what are the officials looking at when they're calling for a double contact or when they're calling for a lift or just to get inside an official's head so that you will be better prepared when you're training your players and when you're game planning against other teams when it comes to certain things you need to look out for in the rules? Well, This guest is a wealth of knowledge, and he really understands how to explain and interpret the rules so you can be better prepared as a coach. It's an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 90 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Another week of volleyball. As I've mentioned in the past, I myself, I'm well into my season, my shortened season. Um, and it, we're excited. We're getting things going. We're wrapping up. We're, we're actually, we're getting ramped up now for closer to the end of the push of the regular season. And I'm, I'm loving it. For our new listeners, welcome to the podcast. My name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast. And you have about 89 episodes to get caught up on. And if you are a regular listener, as always, I appreciate you tuning in to another episode where the goal is to hopefully give you some tangible, some good value that you can take back to your gym and apply right away. And today's episode is a little bit different. You know, I've had some fantastic coaches on the podcast, both club, varsity, uh, Olympic professional. We've had some great mental skills coaches on the podcast. We've had, we've had great people on the podcast, but I've never had an official on the podcast before, a referee to get to really get an idea of hearing what is the perspective of a referee? What is going through their minds? And, and how can we better equip ourselves with the right tools to put our team in the best position to win? And talking to a referee is a great point to start in terms of the, understanding the rules and how to interpret those rules. And not only do we have a referee or an official on here, but we have a high, high level official. And I personally know this individual because I, I've, been, I've been coaching the game for about 13 years. And I've, I've seen this individual at club, high school, pro or not pro, but college. And, and we're fortunate enough where he's also an Olympic referee as well. And that person is Andrew Robb. Andrew, welcome to the pod, man. How are you? Uh, well, thanks, Brian. Uh, thanks, thanks very much for for having me. Really, uh, really excited to uh, to talk to you this afternoon. I appreciate that. And so, I, I don't really. I, I'm not going to give a background. I, I think you you'll do that for me a better job at that. But I I know that. I mean, when it comes to high level refereeing, like I can't think of anyone else as higher like, in terms of. You were like head of the region, head of the province, head of the country. I don't know. Now you're now you're an international referee, you know, officiating matches all around the world, which is incredible. So you want to just uh, really quickly introduce yourself, talk about your background, maybe the path you took from where you were, you know, however long ago to now where you were as an international referee. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. So it's it, it's hard to believe that I'm entering uh, my 32nd year of, of wow. refereeing, and 
Uh, I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would uh, be an international referee. That certainly wasn't my goal. It was really just to uh, make uh, make some money. And so it was. I was I was 20 years old, um, 1920, getting ready to start uh, university, and I, I played uh, volleyball. I didn't play at a, at a high level. Played uh, high school ball. Uh, I was a, a decent player. I was uh, I was a good player, but I didn't have the structure. Uh, although you know we had club volleyball uh, in in Scarborough, uh, Toronto. That um, uh, but I didn't know about it. And uh, I always had this one referee, at majority of uh, our games, and I was a fiery player. And so, you know, I used to get uh, yellow cards and, and red cards, and it wasn't directed at the referee. It was more directed at the, at the team, directed at my play. Uh, but I, I crossed the line. And, but this referee would say, you know, at the end of the match, I would be respectful, shake his hand and everything. And, and uh, so my last year of high school, he said, you know, did you ever think about becoming a referee to see the other side of it? And no, it wasn't, uh, I didn't even, you know, think about it. He said, number one, you get to stay with the game that you, you love and you can make a, a few extra bucks. And so that's what I did. You know, my first year at uh, York University, I attended a clinic, uh, my, my level one local clinic. And then sort of, as they say, the, the rest is history. I was just able to move up uh, the ranks. And, you know, in, in 2010, I had uh, attended my uh, international clinic uh, in, in Argentina. And then you have to have a certain amount of matches uh, to get signed off by the, the commission, by the commission of the uh, FIDB. So I did that in 2011, got my necessary matches. And uh, officially, uh, when you get that certificate and, and you get that, that crest uh, in the mail uh, in 2012 uh, uh, to st state that you are FIVB international referee. And so I've had the fortune of, of 10 years to, to be at that stage. And, uh, and as you pointed out, it has afforded me to um, referee uh, around the world. Um, the cherry on the top would be the Olympics. I, I, I haven't uh, made it there, uh, but, you know, world championships and refereeing in, in Asia and in, in Europe and, of course, North America. Um, and then, you know, here domestically uh, in, in Canada at the different uh, championships and, and at the grassroots. And so I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere. I do, I do quite a bit. Uh, I want to give back to the game like the game has uh, given me and afforded me uh, so much. Wow, that's incredible. That's crazy. So the Olympics is the icing on the cake. What is it? I mean, I, I don't know, but what does it take to, to referee at an Olympic? Like, is there, how does that work? How do they decide who the referees are there? Yeah, well, well there's different, uh, different categories. And so as you, be, even though you are an international referee, you start off uh, um, as a, a categorized referee. Um, and so the first category uh, was a category C. And so that really allowed me to um, referee uh, within the confederation. Uh, and so, you know, being in Canada, we're part of uh, NORSECA. So you get to referee at the NORSECA events. And then it's just a matter of when you are uh, performing, that you perform at a, a high level, you're, you're seen. Every tournament has uh, you know, a referee coach or, or delegate. And uh, based on your performance, um, they can promote you within the uh, FIVB to the next level. 
And so from the C, you go to uh, what's called a, a B2. So that's sort of the next step. Gives you a little bit more higher level opportunities. Uh, and then to, to B1. And that's where I am right now. I'm, I'm B1. So I, I can do some of the, like the, the VNL and, and World Championships. And then the last one from B1 is A. And so we have uh, two categorized uh, referees in, in Canada that are, that are A. Uh, Scott Jevitz out of uh, Montreal and uh, Andrew Cameron uh, out of Ottawa, who just recently got promoted. So that's what I'm looking forward to next. At that A level, then you can be nominated for, um, for the Olympics. And, but it's a, it's a small group, right? It's only yeah. you know, between 16 and 20 referees in the world that wow, that's uh, insane. can get be nominated. And of course, it's based on confederation too. There's a, a certain amount per confederation that would be nominated. Right. And my, my last question kind of long, cause this sure. is so interesting. I could talk to you about this for, for a long time, <laughs> like for, for young, young people out there, whether you're a coach player that's interested in pursuing, you know, like your story, that's fantastic. Hey, you, you ever consider referee? Like what, what is, how, how much do referees make? Is it per match? Is it per hour? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So it's, 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 it's per, it's per match. And so, you know, you start off at, at high school and you may do a, a single or a double header and, and, and you can earn anywhere from, you know, uh, $35 to, to, to $70 um, for, you know, for that, you know, double header. And then you have tournaments. So OVA, anywhere from like 150 to, to 200. Um, and then at the college and, and university level, uh, it's, you know, 80, $85 a, a match. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's decent uh, money. And, and especially for those that are starting out, uh, you know, it's great pocket money. Uh, they, again, they get to remain with the sport. And so what our hope is as well is to get these younger referees, uh, the younger players to become uh, referees. And for me, I'm probably one of the older ones that started. You know, I was 20. You, know, you can actually become a level one at 15. And so we are targeting a lot of the um, Ontario Volleyball Association, a lot of our, our youth players um, to, to start out there. And then if you love it a you get to understand the rules and so you know what you can approach a referee about uh and then you can also just develop and and uh, if, if things don't work out as a player hey you have the referee in your right. back pocket well let's let's kind of cater right into the ne next conversation about the rules because you know as you know predominantly our listeners are all coaches and it's always interesting when you see, you know, one referee call a double contact this way and another one and coaches are left confused and well, well it's, it's okay. Let's just, so let's start with the double contact. Okay. As, as an official, what are you looking for when you're making that call to call that double contact violation? Yeah. Well, first it's not going to be on the first contact, right? So we all know that, uh, you know, you can have that, uh, that double contact on that first, but it's, it's the, the second and third. And so what you are looking for, is the contact of physical contact with the hands contacting the ball uh, at, at, at different stages. And so a lot of times you will hear people say, ah, well, the, the ball was spinning. So that, that was, you know, you know, that was a double contact or the, the way it came out. No, that's a, a misconception. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the ball uh, spinning and it's going to the, the location that, uh, uh, that, you know, that the setter is, is placing that ball. It's having that contact on the you know the one hand and then the second hand so it's very subjective right uh and, and so there it's it's hard to sometimes 
really articulate that the, the two uh, hits because um, it is that subjective in the sense that uh, I may be a referee that is looser and I'll, I'll allow uh, the you know the players to play, and some may be a little tighter. And so, what you want though, what you're looking for, uh, is consistency. That's what the coaches and players are looking for. If you are going to make that call early, well, you better carry that on throughout. Right. Uh, but a lot of referees get stuck and they call it too tight at the beginning and then, you know, they, they loosen up and that's where you can get into confusion. But uh, ultimately, yeah, it's, um, it has nothing to do with the rotation of the ball. It's, you know, the two hands that are, are contacting it. That will come out ugly and in most cases, right? And so that's what's, uh, what, what you're looking for. So then, so I just want to confirm something. So, because a lot of times the set is made and then there's, there's a, a time delay and then all of a sudden the double contact will be called. So to confirm, a ref should not be looking at the outcome of the ball. They should be looking at how the hands contacted the ball and not necessarily whether it's spinning, whether it's ugly in the air or whatever the case is. Absolutely. And you'll also hear, yeah, ooh and then ahhing and, and what have you. But yeah, what happens is sometimes, you know, they'll get... Uh, you know, you'll hear from another team and then the whistle goes. But right. what you're supposed to be doing, right, is you call the fault right away as, as you see it. And so that alleviates any of the, uh, the confusion. But, you know, you, you said something earlier on, which uh, is bang on, right? The uh, NCAA is, is moving away from that. And right. uh, I think you're going to see that uh, internationally as, as well. Uh, you know, the FIVB's model, you know, keep the ball flying. So they don't want, you know, the referees really interfering. They, they love the, the flow. And so, you know, majority of your, your, your listeners here are going to notice that at that high level, you know, yes, the players are obviously a lot more skilled. And right. so you're not going to see that two hits or the, the catch ball. But, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised that second and third uh, contact is, you know, allowing them to, to play a, a little bit more into yeah, you don't want so, to see the referee blowing the whistle every, every so often. Like yeah, great point. So yeah, you, you brought up a point that I was going to bring later on. But so the double contact being eliminated from our game um, at, at the NCAA, they they experimented with that this this year. I think last year as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. On the women's side, I'm not sure if they did it on the men's side yet. Um, did you do you know if they did it on the NCAA men's side? No, as far as far as I know, I, I'm not 100, percent but um, I. I Again, I wouldn't be surprised if okay. that were the case and then start to experiment uh, uh, down. FIVB as well. Yes. Right. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Okay. That's really good clarification on the double contact. Now, okay, I'm kind of foreshadowing a little bit to, to come, but when it comes to uh, seeking clarification or um, arguing, not arguing with the referee, but, you know, just when you, when you disagree, you know, right. what, what can you potentially debate about? Or and what can you not? Right. Well, ball handling for one is not uh, debatable. Okay. And so, as much as you know, coaches may put up their arms, and and, and players are coming to the uh, the ref stand, uh, a two hits, um, you know, and a, and a catch ball, all of that is subjective and is not up for discussion. You don't want to see a ref put up their hand. A lot of times that will happen because they know why. Uh, the players coming to them, they should allow the, the, the captain to approach the stand, but then say politely, you know, ball handling is, is, uh, is discretionary. It's not up for discussion. You know, please, uh, please continue. What 
captains can uh, come to a referee on is uh, what is you know, referred to as the, uh, the interpretation uh, of a, a particular uh, play. So uh, if it is a, uh, a, a backcourt attack, um, that is something that is debatable. Um, if if the, the player is in the front court and the referee is calling a backcourt attack, well, that's clearly a, a fault. And that is something that, um, you know, the interpretation of that play that that captain needs to come over and, and, and speak to the, the referee. Mm-hmm. Or a four, four hits. How many times do we see the ball going into the net and they may call uh, four hits? Yes, it's still subjective, but that's something that they can, they can come over and just say, listen, you know what, the ball went off of the, the hands uh, or it went into the tape. So that's why it was uh, uh, four hits. Uh, let's say the referee called an outer rotation, but they were in the cor- correct rotation. That's something too. That, uh, so those things would be protestable. If you're saying that it was you know, positions one and six and there was an overlap and that was not the case, well, now the, the, the captain has uh, something to, uh, to, to protest about and say, uh, you know what, we reserve the right to, uh, to protest. And it has to be done immediately. So that's another thing. Uh, you can't say, you know, two plays later, oh, by the way, you know, that was the incorrect uh, call. So, okay. so that's something okay. that needs to be done. You, you talked about a lot there. I want to dive into a couple of things. So sure. first, completely understand, um, you know, double contact is, is non-negotiable in terms of the call. But you, you brought up an interesting point about the interpretation of that call. So what if you went up to the official and you said, uh, I just want to understand you know, how, why that was a double or how that was a double. And the official was to say, well, the, the ball spun. You saw it spin and did not say, well, I saw it come out of your, I saw a double contact. Can that happen? And can you be at rounds? No, no. So that's not something I would, I would even discuss, right? So it's the application of the rule. Ball handling okay. is not an application. Ball handling is, is subjective. So that's not an application. It's the application. If, the, if you interpreted the call incorrectly, that's in the application rule. So, for instance, first contact, ball is not played cleanly, and the referee says two hits. That's an incorrect application of the rule because we all know that the first contact, two hits is allowed. So you will see sometimes too, and you know, and that's something I would never tell tell the, the referees. Don't now change when the player comes and say, oh, catch ball. No. Uh, if you own up to it, that's a reserve. So that's the difference between the application of the rule and then a, the subjective uh, nature uh, okay. of the rule. And then to your other point, in terms of the, the rotation, because that actually happens quite a bit where a ref may call it out of rotation because there's overlap. Yes. Um, and then if, if you disagree at that exact moment, and like, it's tough to, how would you argue that? Because if you say, well, no, my player was actually behind, you know, in whatever rotation and they say, no, no, he was actually in front. Well, it's your word against the refs. And in that case, I can't imagine you winning that argument that the refs. Yeah, that, really that, yeah absolutely. So that, that would be, um, you know, the, the, the refs um, decision uh, based on what they saw. It's more if they showed the two players and said that they were, not in the correct position. So a lot of times you will have like the, the, the setter will leave early. Um, it's to the letter of the law. Yeah, is that out of rotation? You know, referees are not looking to, you know, penalize for, for that. Um, if it's a, a spin serve and as soon as the ball is tossed and the setter who's in one is right at the net, 
That's one thing. That's an advantage. So that's what the referee is looking I agree. for, the advantage, not them leaving one step early. I would never call that. And, and, and as a, you know, if I'm supervising, that's something that I would be speaking to the referees on. That's what gets uh, coaches upset. You're looking for the advantage. So a 3-6 overlap, that is an advantage. Why? The coach or the players may not know is, is that player who is both setting up as they're passing, who is in the front row, right? So those are the things that you want to look at, not position one where the setter is coming to set, but where the players are, are, are set up on that three, six, when they are retrieving uh, uh, the serve. Right. And the last thing I want to talk about with, with respect to that, you mentioned the word protest. So, you know, uh, I, let, let's talk about that. When can a coach protest? How does a coach protest? And what does that look like? Is it something that's recorded on the score sheet? Is it, is it maybe it does, it's not? It's like, yeah, how does that work? Yeah, so it is on the score sheet and, uh, and it's, it's the captain and not the coach. So the coach may, you know, generally, right, the, the coach is knowledgeable or should be knowledgeable of the, uh, the rules. Right. And uh, the captain would have to go to uh, the first referee to say, um, you know, I would like to, uh, I reserve the right to, to protest. Again, it has to be something that is protestable. And once they've indicated that, then at the end of the match, they could uh, write out that protest on the, the score sheet. If you're talking about like tournament play, uh, then we would uh, you know, deal with that protest right away. We're not going to wait until that at the end. But during like league you know, uh, games and what have you, uh, they would uh, uh, go ahead and, and protest that. Uh, write it in the score sheet, and then we would, uh, you know, take it up to the convener, and we would look at it. Uh, so it doesn't it doesn't happen very often. Uh, to, right. You know, just uh, to let you know, it's seldom uh, do we deal with uh, with protests, which is which is a good thing. Right. Right. Okay. No. Fantastic. That's great. So captain says to the head the head official, I re- uh, you know I'm exercising my right to protest. They they make a note of it on the on the on the score score sheet. Score sheet. On the score sheet, and then it gets dealt with at the end. It gets submitted, and 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 again, it doesn't happen very often. Hypothetically, what if that protest is successful? What happens? Yes. So if it's success, if it's uh, successful, then we go back and play at that start of that uh, time of the protest. And so, as the captain, you need to put, okay, it was set three. This is the score, and everything is written down. And then you would resume based on that. So that's why, uh, you know, high level. Yeah, that's why you always have like a jury there. They deal with it right then and there. They don't wait. Right. Uh, but, you know, when it's locally and, you know, high school and stuff, we just don't have the, uh, the ability to do it. Right. Um, but, you know, when you go to nationals, for instance, uh, uh, yes. there. It's, I've seen it, it happen at nationals. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Happen, right? right there and then. Even, even at our own uh, provincials. Right. That's why we need to have a, a referee supervisor that's uh, there on, on site so that we can uh, deal with it um, right. expeditiously. Okay, great. No, this is fantastic stuff. Okay, I've jumped around my notes here, but that's okay. Let's go back to so <laughs> talked about. No, this is so good. So we talked about the double contact. Let's talk about the lift. Another subjective call yes. that frustrates coaches at some points, you know, when you see those super tips that come at you and, you know, things like that. So let's talk to me about the lift. Yeah, so this is a great one. And so I'm going to take you back a few years. Uh, in the rule book, it was lift. And it's a real misconception. Uh, and it's, it's really important that I highlight that. 
It's okay. no longer a lift. It's catch or throw. And I'll tell you why it is, is different. So what a referee looks for is the length of contact that ball sits in a person's hand and or the change of direction. So a lot of times, if just because someone has an open hand and pops up the ball, people say lift, lift. Well, no, it didn't come to a rest. Uh, it didn't change directions. So that is not a catch ball. You know, if they dive and, you know, just, you know, pop it up, then you want to look at the spec. Um, the spectacularity of that play. You know, you're going to give them a little bit of the benefit of, of the doubt. Again, right. I talk about the, the model, right? Is to keep the, the ball flying. So what you're seeing though, at the higher highest level, and that is trickling down, which we are trying to eliminate. And if you just have to look at what took place at uh, VNL uh, in Italy this past year, and then on to the Olympics is the hard, what they call the hard dump, right? right? So you want to make sure that, that the player has the ball in front of them. If they have the ball in front of them and then they're, and they're, and they're just flicking it down, that's fine. What you're looking for is when they're starting to take that ball from behind them right. and now you're taking it, you care, right? So that's where it's the catch and throw. And you're, you saw that at the, especially at the men's level, they were getting away with it. And the, 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 the head of uh, FIVB um, uh, said he wants that, he needs to be eliminated. So that was actually during the competition that referees were told, listen, this is what we need to crack down on. And so in the latter part of the tournament, you saw the change of that and that carried over to the Olympics because we're seeing that coming all the way down. So it's almost like all of you uh, beach, you know, coaches and, and players out there is the joust. And so what they were doing was carrying it to the joust and then trying to wipe it off the block. Well, that's where that catch and, and throw. It's one thing if you're on top of the net and it's simultaneous contact at the net. Mm -hmm. That is different than trying to take it and then throw it and wipe it off of the uh, of the defender. And so that's where that, uh, that, that catch and, and throw, uh, would come in, come in. That was, yeah. Beautifully explained. I hunt like there's no, yeah, absolutely. And as with the double contact, this is non-negotiable. There's no debating this call or anything. It's the refs. The e refs call. Exactly. So that's another one where, so really, you know, you're talking about the, uh, the, 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 the two hits, um, you know, the, the four hits, outside of VNL, right? Because that is something that could be challenged, right? So we're yes. majority of us aren't in that situation where challenge we can challenge, right? That's need a challenge. Need that to get system. down to the OUA, no <laughs> There you go. That's right. A few bucks to get that uh, I know. implemented. Uh, but the two hits, four hits, uh, and the catch, those are things that um, are, are not, um, you know, it's subjective. And the ball in and out. So, or, or even a ball uh, touch uh, off, off the block, right? So those are the ones that are really hard to, to pick up. And that's where our game has really grown. And I'm glad that you're seeing again at the higher level, yes, that we're, we want to get the call right. Um, and uh, just like in all other sports, right? I've gone with that, you know, different um, video um, to, to assist. Because uh, we're human, just like the players, like we're going to make mistakes. Right. Um, it's a matter of, you know, understanding that uh, we're not going to be perfect, but we want to be uh, consistent. 
you know, it's funny. I, I have, I work with some coaches in the U S and they said that a lot of even locally, they're implementing a challenge system and their requ- the requirement is one camera, one computer or software or something like that. Yes. And that's good enough to be classified. I don't know if you know anything about this, but if they're doing that in the U S at, at the local level, I, I can, Oh, I hope, you know, at least in the CCAA youth sports, they, they apply something like that. Cause we all have cameras. We can potentially right. do it. I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a beauty for those, uh, uh, my colleagues in, in the U.S. that are, are able to uh, utilize that uh, additional uh, help. Uh, because, again, uh, you know, you got thousands of people that are watching uh, either in the stadium or, or, or online. Or online and, now, uh, right? And, and, right exactly. and you want to get the call right. Uh, there's nothing worse. And believe me, we, we know when we've made a, a bad call. And, a lot, and, and the players will give you a lot of information, too. It's amazing, right? It's I know. when they all put up their hand and you know, chances are, yeah, you know, there was that touch or, you know, if, if the ball was, uh, if they touch it, then they'll look back at the referee and, you know, to, to see if he or she you know, picked up on yep. that. Yep, absolutely. Uh, okay, so fantastic. So double contact, we have the lift. Uh, we talked earlier about position faults, which is great. Um, another question that comes up quite a bit is, are, can you ask for a rotation check? And if so, when do you do that? Absolutely. And, that, and this is crucial because too many times I've seen where, you know, the, the player was out of rotation. And when does that normally happen? At set point. And uh, I, I, I know, for instance, there was, a, uh, you know, a match that was lost because of, you know, uh, they, they were out of rotation. And so uh, the captain, again, a lot of times the coach will ask for the rotation because they, they, they know, they, yeah, they yeah. see right now. They would. But Letter of the law, uh, the referee really should not, you know, it's not the coach's uh, responsibility. It's the captain. So that's why, you know, there's a lot, you know, riding on that captain. You know, they need to understand the rules and know when they can approach the, uh, you know, the referee and in situation like that. So before the, the, the whistle, the authorization for whistle, uh, they either go to R1 or, or R2. Uh, generally, they should go to R2 uh, and ask for okay. a rotation check. And then um, the, the score uh, would be able to provide that information. Perfect. That's fantastic to know that. That's good. So the captain's responsible for either going to the R1, but you said R2 should is, is easier. So the captain yeah. can actually have conversation with the R2. They don't always have to go to the head official. No, but I mean, if they, once they go to the R1 for, for that situation, then R1 would look to R2 and, and give the signal right. to that they're looking for a rotation. Right, but yeah, a lot of times if there was a, a net fault, for instance, uh, you know they're going to uh, you know, ask uh, R two, um, you know who is on who is on the net. Right, and so you're, you're having that uh, that discussion. Right, right, okay, fantastic. Um, okay, the next thing I want to talk about is playing faults at the net. Now this is huge because I, I've talked to so many coaches who interpret this completely different. So I want we're gonna get the, the right answer today. Uh, including myself sometimes. So I'm going to actually read to you what what one of the rules say. So when it comes to playing faults at the net, and let's talk penetrating, okay? Mm-hmm. After an attack hit, a player is permitted to pass his or her hand beyond the net, provided that the contact has been made within his or her own playing space. So, so that, is, that is a rule. So my question to you is, how is that possible? Like, 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 for example, if third contact has been made, so the team has attacked the ball, according to this, you're allowed to pass your hand beyond the net. Right. Now, if you're passing your hand beyond the net, then in theory, 
What if you play that ball in the opponent's space as you're passing your hand beyond the net? So I'm uh, the confusion. I talked to a lot of coaches about this is, are you playing the ball in your own space? Cause you're not, you're playing it over into their space. So what's the ruling there? So once the ball has been uh, attacked and so an attack is anytime the ball uh, is going towards the opposition, that is a completed attack. It has to cross over. What you're having with the sort of like the interferences is on the second ball, you know, that the setter is trying to play that ball and the defender is reaching over and blocking that ball. Well, the player did not, the setter did not get an opportunity to, to, to set that ball uh, to their, for, for their, their third attack. So that's where, you know, there would be uh, interference or, you know, if uh, the, the defender is reaching over prior to the ball crossing the, crossing the, 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 the plane, right? So they intercept it, you know, well short when, you know, you don't know if that ball is going to cross or not. That's where you're, you're, you're having the, uh, the interference uh, call, which is, uh, which is reaching, uh, reaching beyond. Those are the calls which I like to refer to as um, where referees make their money. And by that, I mean, there's a lot of things that um, could potentially happen, especially if the setter is a backcourt setter. Is it a backcourt attack on the setter? Is it a backcourt block on the setter? Is it interference on the opposition not allowing that backcourt setter to play the ball when it's still in his or her side of the court? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it interference on the backcourt attacker? You know, did a lot of times you will see they're trying to save the ball. And once that ball crosses the plane and then they carry it back, right? So yes. they still have that, they still have one contact, but they're reaching over and carrying it over. So those are, are all the things that go through and, and what a referee needs to, to make a decision. And then I would say, finally, one that where a call has to be made is if the back for the backcourt setter and the ball is contacted above the height of net by the defender, something has to be called because either the player, the setter is, has illegally played that ball because right. the attack has been completed right. or there was interference. Right. It can't be a, a no call, a non-call, a right. call needs to be made. And so those are the things that are really uh, a referee has to, uh, to focus and we know that the, a lot of the play happens at that top of the net. You know, the one-handed set and what have you. And that's another one where they automatically think it's, it, it's a catch ball with that one-handed. No, it's, it, it's fine. As long as it doesn't come to a rest, you're popping it up and it's, it's, it's play on. Okay, so let me recap here a little bit. So if the ball is attacked and the ball hasn't made... So let's say it's, an, it's, it's attacked, okay? It's now making its way towards the net if i block that ball if i penetrate over the net and block that ball in the opponent's space is that a violation that's legal because it has the the attack has been completed so that's on that third contact because it has to be because you're taught as a defender as soon as that ball is going to be um uh you know spiked attacked your hands are all over into that playing space 
to make contact for that uh, block. So that is perfectly legal because the ball has completed its attack towards the, the opposition. So, so that- is there, in theory, does that mean that after any third contact where the ball is being directed over the net, you can play it in the opponent's airspace? Essentially, yes, unless, um, you know, they are on, on that third contact, if that, that, that setter um, uh, or not the setter, but if they, the, the block is done, you know, simultaneously, so they didn't get, they, ha- they have to initiate that contact. If not, it's, it's interference. So the, the attack has to be um, at, uh, completed before there's interference from the, from the opposition. Okay, so I, I understand that. So I think the confusion is where, where it says, provided that the contact has been made within his or her own playing space, because contact can be made in the opponent's playing space, provided it's after the opponent made an attack. Is that correct? Well, no, because that's where that setter, if it's on that third contact and the ball has already crossed the playing space, they cannot make make contact or even if it's on that let's say it's the, the, the second ball that has gone towards the opponent and it's in their playing space even though it's only the second contact they may not be permitted to uh, to make contact because that would already be a completed attack once that has broken the plane and and, and, and gone to the uh, okay the side so so this rule is not just for the defender; it's also for the offensive team as well. Absolutely, and, and that is right. That right there is why there's confusion because you're yes. looking at it from both points of views. It's not about just blocking; it's about taking the ball as well from an Correct. offensive point of view. Correct. Okay, and, and that, that is why, and that's why you will see you are taught as soon as a ball crosses the crosses the plane, go up and make contact. How many times? Do you see the setter fake out that they're about to play the ball because they're fearing that they're going to be a backward attack and then the ball just drops down mm-hmm. uh, on the other side? Mm-hmm. Go ahead and make contact because if you make contact and you and that ball touches the, the, the setter, we know there's going to be um, a, a blocking fault on that setter being a, a, a backward, uh, backward and that's, player. And that's providing that the ball has touched the plane of the net. Correct. And gone across. That's right. Okay. So once the ball touches the plane of the net, any part, any, any plane area of the net, once that ball is there, you're allowed to contact the ball. And you should, in fact, like you said, because then if the setter touches it, there's a violation and it should be in right. your favor. The okay. 50-50 ball is different when the setter is in the, in the front court. And so anyone can, can, can make uh, contact because, again, it, it's right there on, on the plane. But as a backcourt setter, if you're there and then you, um, you know, it, it's the attack has been deemed uh, successful in crosses, then uh, it could be a, a potential uh, violation. Okay. No, this is great stuff. So I'm just going to recap really quickly because I think yeah. you made it clear. You know, when it comes to playing the net, when you're interpreting the rules, it's both teams, not just one. That's first. Second, after third contact, providing it's an, it, what about if it's a bump? What if third contact is a bump? A, a second, that's why a, a first contact, uh, a second contact that's gone over the plane is considered an, an attack. So it doesn't, we just know that the traditional volleyball, yeah, it's bomb, set, and then spike. But if yeah. the second ball is attacked, 
Same, same thing. You can penetrate ball. over the net into the opponent's space to play that ball. Are you on the defending side? Defending. Or you... Sorry, I'm I'm a blocker. Let's do, in terms of blocker, I apologize. Great point. Yes. If I'm a blocker and on second contact, they've made an attack. Am I allowed to then go into their uh, airspace and block the ball? Correct. Once it has uh, crossed the plane, yes. Once it has crossed the plane. Right. Yeah. So you can't go in there and and interfere on that second because they could still potentially uh, block on that, uh, or they could potentially It'll, send yeah. the ball on that third contact. Okay, but what, again, that's that's the difference between the ball crossing the plane and the attack being successful, as opposed to it still remaining on the uh, offensive zone. Okay, so fast track to third contact now. Same situation. If that was third contact, I then could go play it in their space, even if it doesn't break the plane in the net. I can still go over there. Is that correct? In theory, yes, yes, you can. Uh, because it's the third contact, right? It's just like this: if you serve the ball and it goes into the net and the ball hasn't dropped onto the ground yet, sometimes you'll see a player sort of you know, take it from, from the net. You're not going to, the ball did not cross over. You're going to grab the ball and, and, and take it to your, right. you're, you're fine. So you see, it's, the reason I'm, I'm really honest because it's interesting because I mean, I've been coaching this game for 13 years and that, that call on third contact blocking and playing it in the opponent's space i've seen it get called so many different ways so i i appreciate the 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 clarity because i've seen it in a lot of situations where on third contact the player either bumps or attacks and the blocker goes into the opponent's space and puts it down and they're called for over because they played the ball in the opponent's space so it's it's a good thing to know that once it's after an attack and it's third contact you're allowed to do that yeah, and that's where again, that's it's it's you know it is still subjective, and sure. and and that would be a situation where you know it depends on how the explanation by the referee. So that's why I start off talking about the application of the rule. So important to know what the rule and you know the the, the spirit of the rule and and everything, so you can explain that um, articulately to the uh, to, to the captain because. If you mix it up, um, then you could be, you know, in a bit of a, a bit of a bind and you may need to do a, a research. So this is a selfish question now, because I know this is going to happen to me sometime in the, my, my career in the next whoever many years. So if this happens where we play the ball beyond the net after the third contact is made, which is an attack and the ref calls over, my captain goes over to the ref. And what does my captain say? Well, yeah, your captain would, would say, you know, was was the attack did was the attack completed, uh, or he could say, you know, um, the the attack was not completed. Uh, the player uh, interfered with, with, with the ball. Uh, so, I mean, that's 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 something that's going to be very difficult to <laughs> uh, to, to win uh, in, in in my estimation. Fair enough. Fair enough. Especially, enough. especially on, on, on that third contact. The, the second contact is, I think you, you have a, a much better um, opportunity to, uh, to, to win that, uh, uh, win that argument. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Oh, this is great, great stuff. And the last thing I'll talk about when it comes to the net is just under the net. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. You know, you're allowed to go into the opponent's space. You're allowed one, as long as one foot is in contact with the line and you don't interfere with their play. Is that correct? That, that, that's right. So that's that's the key too, right? So um, again, and talk about you know keep the ball flying. 
you know, the whole body, you know, three quarters of your body can be over the line and your, your feet are still in contact with right. your court. Yeah. But if the opposition, uh, if you interfere with them now playing the ball, then that would be a, a, a fault. Right. Uh, so that doesn't, um, again, no, it doesn't happen too often, but uh, you know, again, you got these big kids there and it's great. You know, before, if your hand was over the line, right, that used to be mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. A, a violation. So now, uh, as long as the, um, you know, uh, the, the foot, the entire foot is not over and it doesn't interfere, then it's, uh, it's play on. Okay, fantastic. Okay, we're, we're getting closer to the end here. I got a couple more for you. Uh, uh, this has been this has been great stuff with a lot of the, a lot of these calls. Mate, it's so funny hearing coaches talk about it, and and I, I'm I'm loving the clarity. Okay, uh, let's talk a little bit more about. So this is an interesting one. Volleyball is a very exciting game. There's you know there's big blocks, big kills, bouncing balls sometimes, and things like that. You know, and I always see, and we've talked about this in the past too, and I've always seen a little discrepancy with referees in terms of celebration. Uh-huh. Okay. In terms of celebration, when we have a big moment in a game where it's a big block and a big kill and the players erupt off the bench, you know, what is allowed? What is not allowed? Because my understanding is that players are allowed to erupt off the bench or erupt from the area that they're in behind the bench and come not on the court, but can come closer to the court to, yeah, and as long as they go back into their area. You tell me, what, what are they allowed to do? So, so two things there. Yes, the game has evolved, and I'm glad that we are allowing a lot more uh, emotion uh, into the game. Because before, it would be, okay, you're in the warm-up zone, and, you know, don't you dare put half of a foot outside. Exactly. Yeah. The referee's going to go tweet, 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 right? So uh, that's actually, um, here in Canada or Ontario anyway, it's an OUA rule. It's actually not an OCAA rule. So it's not a college rule. So this is something that the OUA put into place uh, about four years ago, where, yes, after that, the players can go to the lo- and then come back right away. So nothing wrong with that. Uh, I'm allowing it a lot more in, in college, and I think that's something that really should be a rule. So if that's something that you wanted to, to you know, take to the AD to put into place, because Technically, you know, yeah, if they did, the referee could say, no, you need to be in your, you know, in, in the warm-up. But um, yeah, even at the, at the higher levels, you're, all, you're seeing that. And, and it's important, right? Because you look at, you know, basketball and, and, yes. and, and right? Uh, and, I've, and I've always, I mean, I've heard that. And why is it uh, where, you know, this is not a, a, a tennis match where you have to be quiet and want to celebrate. Um, it's when you're seeing, you know, some of the uh, different celebrations that go a little too much where, you know, they're f- dropping all over the ground and, you know, they're, uh, they're pretending like they're resuscitating someone. That uh, is uh, a little uh, uh, too much um, right now, but getting jumping off the the, uh, the bench, coming to the and coming back, um, I, I have no I have no issues with that. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. So I, that's interesting to know that it's no UA rule, not no CWA rule. That's it's interesting because I know. Um, I mean, I don't know the rules uh, across the country, or rather, even our friends in the U.S. But I know when we go play in the U.S., it's never an issue. 
they celebrate they go they go off and they they dancing and it, it's it's amazing it's a great atmosphere and then when you come back to, to canada in certain parts it's like the, the you know the ref blows whistle and said nope you know be behind the line behind the line and and i you know what referee actually the our officials in the ocw are great because i want to have that conversation hey listen they're allowed to, as long as they come back and go right back i'll make sure that they're like okay no no problem as long you know and they're, they're really good with it but yeah, just the I, fact I, that it's now becoming like okay let them celebrate like i like that yes, i i agree you know it's 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 fun you know it's um i have no 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 problem with that uh, you know if they come onto the court that that's one thing but again as long as you know it's quick and they, and they go right back um, you shouldn't have uh, an issue with that. Yeah, coming onto the court, I, I tell my guys too. I'm like, listen, when something big happens, you celebrate, you 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 go up and let your guys know that you're in it with them. You know, that's the big part. It's like you're you're there with them. You just do not go on the court and then and then come back. And uh, and we we, we practice it. Make sure that yo, this is how you, don't I don't want to get a card. I don't want to get a warning. I, I don't know. I don't want to create any more stress on the on the officials that they need to let the, you know because it, it's I, I've seen it. It's worse when the officials keep having to tell the bench, hey you know, be careful, but within reason, like, they should, like if it's, if it's something like that, it, it should be fine, but I don't want the officials to worry about the bench. They should be focused on the game. Exactly. And, 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 and if I may, I mean, and that's where the whole, uh, I think referees were becoming a lot better. Uh, the relationship uh, between the referee and, and the coach is, is paramount, right? Yeah. You know, years ago, coach couldn't say a, a word, um, you know, to, to our two in particular, um, w without being uh, potentially uh, penalized or allowing a lot more more dialogue. For our friends in, uh, south of the border, I mean, that's always been the case. They have allowed that. I mean, they've allowed two, two coaches, for instance, uh, I think maybe even three in some situations that can stand up the entire time. We're not there yet. Yeah. But uh, building yeah, that... Right. Uh, Right, building that rapport is, is is huge, and you know they just want uh, explanation. Um, and, and if you can just quickly just say, hey, yeah, you know, it was you know, such and such on the net, or if you are you know supporting your R one in the call to say, well, this is you know the reason why this was or was not uh, uh, whistled. So I, I think it's important because uh, you know in order to continue to grow the sport. All the players, you know, have to be in it uh, together and, uh, and and working. Right. You, you know, like with coaches, when we well, after a game, we'll, we do we watch film, we do debriefs, we do pregame and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Do officials do that as well? Like, is there great. a process you guys have for post game, pre match, film, whatever? Great, great question. And so, uh, if I just talk um, you know, high level for for a moment here. Uh, there, there's a lot um, that goes into it. We know that, you know, the, the players uh, and the countries, uh, you know, they work uh, so hard and uh, they uh, expect um, and should get nothing but the best. And so, yeah, when I go to events, you know, I'm there you know, a couple of days uh, before we have, uh, you, know, you know, sort of in a classroom, we go over, you know, situations, what we want to potentially, you know, focus on. Um, a lot more, whether it is that uh, that that catch and, and throw or uh, two hits, it's all about uh, game management. And then what you're seeing too is uh, even you know again domestically at you know nationals, you know you have the referee supervisor and they, they have their camera, and they will clip certain things and we'll want to discuss it. Uh, and, and we have to debrief and we bring in uh, the lines. Uh, and that's an important part of it too, because it's not just about R1 and R2. I've always maintained that uh, a line judge is a lot more important than R1. 
Why? It's 14-13 in the fifth set, and they throw up a, a touch or need to make a line call or, or call the ball off the, the antenna. We are relying on them to make that call. And so we have to be working together. And, you know, this is what this is my expectation. You know, if I happen to see something different and I, and I overrule or, or whatever, and then, yeah, post-game, we want to talk about that. You know, how was my ball handling? How, you know, how was the flow? Um, you know, right. getting all that information is so important. It's not a matter of just showing up, doing your job, and going home. You know, teaching our, our, our younger ones, too, and, uh, um, and, and going over, you know, what transpired in both the, the men and the, and the women's uh, game and so that right. we can uh, improve. Right. Okay. I got two more for you and then we're done. One big one, one small one. Um, where do you, in terms of rule changes and ad advancements of the game, like we just, we talked about earlier, the double contact is, is being eliminated in the, in the NCAA. We'll see that trickling down across the world. Maybe are, is there anything else you see that could potentially change in the next five years and, and beyond with our game as it continues to evolve? Yeah, one I could potentially see, and I know they did this in, um, uh, North Seca for a, a couple of uh, events, but um, that is going back to uh, on the serve, having to take four round passing and not over. Uh, I heard about this. Yeah, I heard this. Right. Yeah. And the reason being, there's the offense is just so, especially on the men, right? Um, yeah. You know, the, the average rally is, you know, you know, something like three seconds or, or, or so. Uh, 2.6 seconds in, in, in that uh, in around that right. area, and to slow slow that part uh, down. So I could see that potentially, you know, kind of like on the beach, right? So you don't see anybody um, taking it. I mean, because it has to be completely clean. Right. So they're all forehand passes. So I could see that um, something that they have they did tested at the World Championship is. Um, I mean, this is not more a rule thing, but uh, the game is is going taking too long and for tv trying to get it within that two hours like you have like with soccer and, and right. hockey, the likes basketball right is um you know eliminating the, the two technical timeouts at 8 16 and going to just one so right now there's six potential stoppages internationally right. 8 and 16 and then each coach each team has two discretionary 30 seconds right way too much we don't need all that so they're going to be going uh, it actually came into effect this year, right? So it's going to be the, the one technical timeout. And um, and I think I should know this. It's, uh, it's either one or two uh, discretionary uh, timeouts. I think it's only one, but I, I could be wrong. There. Okay. No, no, but, no uh, problem at all. Uh, but, you know, another thing, potentially, uh, you know, I know, it's been thrown out there, like, you know, in, in the U.S. where, you know, the barrel serves from in, in one rotation. Yeah. Um, you know. Who knows that that could uh, uh, possibly come down the, uh, the yeah. line as well. So. I like that. I like having the libero serve. I don't know. That's just personal, but I I, I enjoy it. <laughs> All right, I got one last one for you, really quickly. Sure. Yes. I ask uh, everyone on the show if you were to have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Wow. Uh, man, if one person. Um, yeah. I'm, uh, you know what? I, I'm, I'm gonna say Muhammad Ali. Okay, yeah. Uh, you, you know what? What he stood for, and I guess, um, you know, being a, a person uh, of color, and you know, there's, uh, there's not too many um, uh, 
people of color that are, are, are referees. I mean, the game is you're seeing a lot more um, diversity. Right. And, and, and I, I'm, you know, really proud that, you know, here I am, you know, I, I am the chair um, of all the referees in Ontario and, you know, I've been able to become an international referee. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and my platform is to get more women and, and what have you. And so I think that, that sort of along the lines of, you know, sometimes you just need an opportunity uh, and you need to be, um, yes, you need to have the skill. Yes, you know, you need to uh, have the, the ability and, and you work hard. And I just think that, uh, that Muhammad Ali just um, uh, embraces all that um, and what he, what he stood for and, and, you know, breaking down, you know, the different uh, barriers and, and, and what have you. And so for me, it would have been fascinating just to, to see he was at the height um, of his uh, career and uh, he didn't necessarily get the, the the love back back home, and and he was ready to go to go to jail for his cause. And right, you know, it's all about, about principle and, and and morals and everything. And so that would be one person that uh, would, you know, comes to mind. Yeah, I know that's that's yeah, fantastic. I hundred percent agree there. Well, thank you. Listen, man, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you know, it's interesting, officials. They, they never get the good job. They always get the, oh, bad call or, oh, you're terribly officiating game. But they never, you never get the, oh, wow, that was a really well-officiated game or that was a great call. So, man, from all the coaches that, that, I, uh, that are in my world, we appreciate what you do and, and what all the, official, all the officials do, not just in, in Canada, U.S., but around the world. And I think that this is a, a great opportunity for people who want to get into the job of officiating to, honestly, there's a, there's a need for it. The game is getting more advanced. Um, we, we need quality, quality, quality officials. So get started early and you can make money as well on the side. It's kind of nice, a nice e- little evening gig for you. That's right. And, and, and see the rest of the, the, the country and, and, and the world, depending on how, how far you go. So. Right. Any final thoughts from you before I let you go? Listen, I really appreciate this, uh, this, this opportunity. Great uh, spending some, some time with you and, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep up the, the, the great work and, uh, look forward to uh, you know seeing you on the court. Um, you know, I guess for for all the coaches that you know what um, you know continue to to build that um, that relationship and that that rapport uh, with the with, with the referees. And at the end of the day, you know what we're we're, we're here for uh, for the players. We're here for the uh, entertainment uh, value, and we always want to be at the at the fore. Uh, where you know we're just there to administer the uh, the match, and so um, I know they put in a lot of uh, hard work and hours uh, with with their uh, with their players, and you know we just want to be consistent and you know and uh, and, and deliver the, to the best of our ability. So uh, thanks again. This was uh, this is a lot of fun. Oh man, I appreciate. it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It, you know, it, it, this was an episode uh, that that we should have done a long time ago because this is great. Uh, hopefully we can educate coaches more on certain rules and what they are allowed to talk to referees about and not, and they'll better be able to equip their players with the right tools. So Andrew, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. And for my listeners out there, um, you know what, uh, this you might have to come back and rewatch this and take some notes because there's a lot of information in this episode. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it and you can apply this to your gym and your team right away. That's it for me. And, uh, Rob, or rather, Andrew Rob. Uh, we'll see you guys next week on another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, 
Are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training and instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days? When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.